Bibles. If you need a Bible, we've got Bibles in the back. Just go ahead and raise your hand. We'd be glad to bring you one uh, this morning as we get into uh, teaching. Uh, flip with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to get there in a second. But uh, first, I want to just give another brief intro. Um, Ephesians, let's see here. Yeah, flip me to Ephesians 5. There we go. So last week, we talked about um, how sex points to marriage and points to something even bigger. Marriage points to, to, to something huge, our relationship with God. We talked about sex, we talked about marriage, we talked about all those good things. And, and this week, I first wanted to start by talking about my marriage for a minute. Um, I have been married to my wife for eight years. It's a great marriage. I, I love my wife. Uh, Desiree and I have a great relationship. It's not just that we're just amazing people, although I'd like to think that. It's not just that um, she's good with kids, although she's great, and it's not because I, I could provide. It's not any of that stuff. It's not because we don't fight, because we do fight. It's not because of any of that stuff. It, it's not because we get make crazy big deals about birthdays or anniversaries. We actually don't, um, and we're okay with that. We, we celebrate them, but it's not like, you know, some people have like a whole birthday week. I don't know how that happened, but... I think if you have a birthday week, you should age seven years in that week because of seven days. Anyways, sorry if some of you have birthday weeks. Anyways, Desiree and I know all the marriage principles. Like we, I read, whenever I was telling somebody earlier, I read tons of marriage books because whenever we get to this point for like a marriage series, I want to have just like a breadth of knowledge behind me on it. And even like a few years ago, I did a series called Just Married. It was a question, are you just married or is there something actually deeper going on in your marriage? And we, you know, that series was more about marriage guiding principles, whereas this series on marriage, Better Together, is sort of like an overarching big picture of marriage. So we know all the guiding principles of marriage and all that stuff. But I think, and I was reflecting back on it this week, why do we have a good relationship? Like, why does it work through thick and thin? Why is it that we're solid in times of crisis? What is it about our marriage? And I, when I got back to it, it's two things. One, their marriage has always been centered and based on Jesus. That's it. I mean, I know that sounds overly simplistic, but there's actually so much to flush out on that. But it's, one, that our marriage is based on the person of Jesus. But two, the other thing that I think was so important in our marriage is that our marriage was built on mission, on mission. See, Des and I met, um, I was, the, back in the day, some of you weren't here, and I say back in the day and I'm 32 years old, so that means like 10 years ago. Some of you say back in the day and that means like 40 years ago. But, I, but back in the day, about 10 years ago, maybe 12 or 13 years ago now, I was the skate park director here. I got hired in as the skate park director. And we had, where the park is, that's where the skate park was. And this is how I met Desiree is that she was the children's director here, and I was sort of quickly, we had a few people resign, I sort of quickly became the youth director. And we started going to meetings together and things like that, but really what our relationship centered on was doing the work of God, was actually in our lives, how are we going to continue the, the kingdom of God? How are we going to push forward? How are we going to strategically use this gospel and this calling that God gave us to, to do this. 
And so I want to talk um, today about the mission of marriage, because I think it's so important. I think so many times we lose it or we miss it. So first what we're going to do is get into Ephesians 5, and like I said, if you need a Bible, um, we've got them in the back. We'll have somebody bring them to you. Just raise your hand, somebody will bring them up. If you don't have a Bible, that's yours. Take it home, put your name in it, it's yours. Um, also, I'm going to say this about Ephesians 5. Pastor Earl gave an exegetically correct, awesome message on Ephesians 5 a few months ago when we did our Ephesians series. And I'm going to hit on things that he didn't hit on, but some of the things he hit on were extremely important. So go back, check it out, go online. It'll be on there. It was on mutual submission. And that's, these are the same verses we're going to look at today, but we're going to look at it from a little bit of a different angle. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present, present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves, um, I'm sorry, he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated their own body, but they fed and cared for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are all members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. I want to go over some of this real quick before we get into the, the main thing we're going to focus on. Just a brief recap if, if you weren't here for Pastor Earl's message, which I think was on the 4th of July weekend. So go back on our website and look at some of the sermons there. Essentially, marriage is based on this sense of mutual submission. Paul, the author here, is talking to a church steeped in first century culture. In first century culture, women, you had nothing. Nada. In, in fact, in the marriage covenant, you weren't even recognized. The word love wasn't even in there. And so it wasn't that men had to love their wives. It was that men had to somewhat care for them and wives had to serve husbands. What Paul did is he took Aristotle's marriage codes that were essentially prolific during the day, and he took them and he switched them into a Christ-based marriage code. And he completely revolutionized it to say, husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. To come back to this sense of mutual submission. It's not one over the other, but it's both of you surrendering to each other at all times. It's not that one has dominance and domineering. See, even this, this played out even in the realm of kids. So um, you, you know that, that children were not officially recognized until the husband said that that was their child. There was a baby, and if it, infanticide was huge. So what would happen is they would have this baby, and the father would have to hold it and say, this is my son or this is my daughter, you know, something like that. And if they didn't think the baby was up to snuff, then they wouldn't recognize the baby, and the baby wasn't named. And usually the baby was either left out in the, to, to die 
or given up for adoption or, or given away or just simply killed. Sometimes parents would, would raise them as their own, but this is the reality of living in first century Roman, the first century Roman world. So what Paul's writing here is huge. I mean, we, we miss it today, and a lot of times we criticize this verse because it sounds like husbands dominate your wives. That's what a lot of people read in this verse, and that's not what's there. We're reading things into it that's just simply not there. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And it gives this whole dynamic of the marriage relationship. And then he's, Paul says this in verse 33. He says, um, he sa- I'm sorry, verse 32. He says, of course, this is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. So what he's saying is, I'm using marriage and the whole idea of talking about marriage as a microcosm for something bigger, the church. In fact, your marriage, your family unit, all that stuff all kind of comes back. It's like the, the, the smallest um, little local group of the church. Your little family is a segment of the church. And this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, of course I'm talking about Christ and the church. Your marriage represents that. Your marriage puts the gospel on display. That's what marriage is, is essentially intending here. Our marriages were intended to highlight the church's relationship with Jesus. Our marriages were intended to put the gospel on display. I mean, if you get nothing else out of that, out of this message today, get that, that, that God has designed our marriages to highlight his love for humanity. How so? How many of you are married to a sinner? Just me? Okay. Yes, we are all married. I mean, and you know this. You know your husband. You know your wife. You know that they've said things to hurt you. You know that they've done stuff to hurt you. You know that they're not perfect. But see, as we love the imperfect person, that's exactly what God does for us. And so your marriage is, is a microcosm of the gospel, Your marriage should put this gospel message on display everywhere you go. Yeah, you know, she isn't perfect. I'm not perfect. She loves me anyways. I love her anyways. We're going to work through it. God doesn't abandon us or forsake us. He loves us even when, when, when we've sinned. I mean, he hates that sin, but that's why he sent his son, so that we could be cleansed before him. So we can be a part of his son's body. So essentially what, what Paul is saying here is marriage is this giant mystery, but it really signifies God's love for the church. And so one of the things that I think we need to do, and one of the things we probably don't do enough, is look at the New Testament in, for our marriage in light of that. So here's what I mean by look at the New Testament in light of that our marriages represent the gospel. So many times I think we look at that at the New Testament, we look at verses and we go, oh yeah, that's for the church or that's for some people. And we apply these verses somewhat strangely. We say, oh, well, this is good for my relationship with this person I'm having a hard time with at work. Or this is good for my relationship uh, you know, with these people. But we don't necessarily apply it directly to our spouse. And I think that's really important here because if what Paul is saying is true, and I think it is, that your marriage is essentially putting the gospel on display, then all the New Testament verses lump into this idea that your marriage, that, that applies to your marriage. So essentially, the mission of marriage is this. The mission of marriage is that your marriage is supposed to put the gospel on display. 
And some of you are here and you're like, oh, I'm not married or I'm a single parent. And by the way, <laughs> I've been a single parent this weekend. I have so much respect. If you're a single parent here today, I have so much respect for you. My wife has been out with a couple uh, uh, friends and, and, and her family, actually mainly all just her family. They have a little girls weekend every now and then. And uh, she's out with them and I've got three kids to myself. And I'm like, man, single parents are amazing if you're doing this. Anyways, this applies to all of you as well, is all I'm trying to say. Because you either will be married one day or you won't. And it doesn't really matter. We're going to talk about singleness, like I said, later on in the series and God's mission for singleness, because it's huge. You're not lesser than other folks or anything like that. But what I'm trying to say here today is that God's mission for you in your marriage is to put the gospel on display. That's simply it. And we're going to look into that how and why and stuff like that. So we're going to get to the first, uh, oh yeah, your marriage, there we go. See, I did put that as a fill in the blank. Sometimes I write things in my outline that I don't write things in my message notes. And anyways, I shouldn't do separate documents. I just confuse myself. Anyways, message number, or point number one, Jesus commanded that we focus on his mission. Jesus commanded that we focus on his mission. Matthew 28. So here's my point with New Testament texts. If it applies to the church, it applies to your marriage. If it applies to the church, it applies to your marriage. I'll say it again. If it applies to the church, it applies to your marriage. Let's get into this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of age. Here's the point I want to make with this. Jesus taught for three years, amazing things, did miracles, died on the cross in a very public display, rose again on the third day, and then this is what he had to say. Don't you think that this would be pretty important? So many times we, I think we kind of flippantly go through the scriptures and, and we're reading in, in, oh yeah, Matthew 28, yeah, Jesus died, resurrected. We have to understand, I mean, this guy was dead for three days and came back and uses these words, all authority has been given to me all authority, because he had overcome death. And so he says, go make disciples. I mean, that's, that, that's it. Hey, church, all authority, go make disciples. In other words, go show other people how to follow me. Show them with your life. Show them with teaching. Show them with all these different things. So, I mean, I don't think we could even fathom how huge this statement is. But he says, all authority, and then go make disciples. That's it. So I want to ask the question is, is in your marriage, are you making disciples? This is the mission of the church. Therefore, it's part of the mission of your marriage. Are you making disciples? Are you on mission as a married couple? Are you on mission as a single person? Are you on mission? You don't have to be married to be on mission. You just have to know Jesus to be on mission. So married people, the cool thing about this is you get, uh, you get a, a, a shot at something fresh called kids, right? You get them, they're, they're fresh out of the womb, and then you go, okay, I got to raise this person in a godly way, you got to figure this out, okay? And they, they, then they continually surprise you. Things start coming out of their mouth, and you, where did you hear that? Where did you hear that? Um, I've, John, I'm going to tell this story. Where are you, John Crimmel? I'm going to tell this story. Anyways... 
my daughter, Emma, we were at the park the other day. She goes, Dad, you're young. And I was like, oh, thank you. She's like, you could be my brother. And I was like, wow, okay. I, I, didn't think that, I don't think so. I got some gray coming in. I don't think I could be your brother. She's like, not like Mr. John. He's old. You know? <laughs> Stuff just comes out of their mouth. I mean, I think John and I look about the same age, you know? Um, but, and we actually are the same age. But my point is, my point is, stuff just starts coming out of their mouths, and it's because we're discipling them. But they're picking it up from everywhere. So my point is, you're on mission. The Great Commission applies to your marriage. The Great Commission applies to your marriage. And kids, you know, we get this first shot at, at something called kids. And sometimes, you know, like me, I've got three shots at this. And um, sometimes I'm like, wow, this is amazing. They're, they're getting it. They're picking up on it. And sometimes I'm like, who is teaching these kids? Who are raising these children? You know? But that's not it. I mean, we get to also, my wife and I get to be on mission and just share Jesus with other people and share how to follow Jesus with other people. And, and our kids get to see that as well. It's partly in virtue due to the calling of being a pastor. But that's, um, that's something you get to do with your kids as well. So married people, make disciples. Reorganize your life. Free up time. Open your home. It's more than just teaching somebody the knowledge of Jesus. It's showing them how to live that way as well. If this is the only thing that Jesus said, I mean, Jesus came, there was a lot of things that he said he would do, but there's really only one thing he told the church to do, and that was to go make disciples. I mean, he talked about forgiving and, and, and all the virtues and the ethics of his kingdom. But when he said go, he only really said go make disciples. So if this is the only thing that Jesus said to do, don't you think that we ought to reorganize our lives to somehow do this? I think so. And I think it's important that we do it in our marriages because I think that's the proper context for a lot of this. Because your marriage, again, puts the gospel on display. Point number two. Jesus is with you while on your mission. And I want to make a, a point about this, especially in marriage. Um, first of all, Matthew 28, 20 says, And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of age. See, Jesus says he's with us. In one sense, Jesus is always with us. Of course he's omnipresent. But it, let's take a second and ask, um, where was God most prolifically with his people? When you go back through the entire Bible and ask that question, where was God most prolifically with his people? And you think about it, in the Old Testament, it was the battlefield. I mean, there's a lot of different spots, but Joshua in the Battle of Jericho, Gideon in the Battle of the Midianites, David, the runt, beat Goliath, God set on fire the prophets of, of Baal, Daniel in the lion's den. I mean, and you could go on and on and on. Where was God most prolifically with his people? On the battlefield. Jesus said, go on mission and I'll be with you. Sometimes we're like, God, where are you? God, why? I don't sense you. God, I don't feel you and stuff like that. And he's like, you're sitting in church. You're not in the battlefield. You're not out there. You're not out there sharing the gospel. You're not out there uh, teaching people. I mean, you're with a bunch of like-minded people. Go out there and do something courageous for my name. And maybe, you know, if, if God didn't show up, um, in the lion's den, then Daniel would have been eaten. If God didn't show up in, if God didn't show up in um, when Elijah was out there with the prophets of Baal, he would have had his head cut off. 
God showed up in a prolific way because they were out on the battlefield. And so what I'm saying is, in your marriage, are you on mission to a point, to a sense where God is essentially with you? I'm not saying God isn't with you now. Of course he is. But what I'm saying is, are you doing things to where he needs to show up or else you're in trouble? I've asked this question before. How much faith does your life require? How much faith does your marriage require? Are you on the battlefield? Number three, and I realize this isn't like the traditional marriage series that you would hear, but God has a mission for your marriage. And and three, people are lost. People are lost. I know that word isn't very um, exciting in our word today, world today, but essentially, people are lost. People don't know Jesus. Why are we on mission with Jesus in marriage? Because people don't know Jesus. Um, like I said, lost sometimes can be an offensive word. Um, but your marriage is under the same exact commission as the church's marriage, to go make disciples. Because Why? people don't know Jesus. Jesus even makes a point to say in Matthew chapter 7, we, we, we've seen and heard this verse over and over and over again, that broad is the road that leads to destruction, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and few find it. Few find it. So essentially, you are on mission because you have good news to tell. If God is in the center of your marriage, then you've got to share that. You've got to help other people see that. That's part of being in a Christian marriage is that you're on mission and that your marriage puts the gospel on display and shares life. You share Jesus with other people who are lost. So the question I have for you in this is, does your marriage point to the reality of a good and loving God? Or do people look at your marriage and go, yeah, I don't, I don't think I'd be a Christian if that's what marriage looks like. You know, what does your marriage point to the reality of a good and loving God, a forgiving God, a God that, that loves people dearly and deeply? Does your, does your marriage have this idea where that you have heaven now in your marriage? Two or three weeks ago, we talked about this point where we are eternal creatures created in God's eternal image. God created us to live forever, but he wants us to get heaven into us now, not just when we die. That's the whole point about having Jesus live in us is that we have heaven in us now and we become people of the kingdom of heaven and we we show this wherever we are. We reveal God through our lives, through our own propensity to forgive and to love because your marriage puts the gospel on display. Number four, you were created for this. You were created for mission. There's so many things that I could say about this. You are God's workmanship in, in Ephesians. Uh, you were cre- created in Jesus for good works. All the verses in the Bible that talk about spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, Romans chapter 12, I mean, I, I couldn't pick e- even a specific verse on this, but essentially says, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit, each of you. That if you've said yes to Jesus and you're following Jesus, then each of you are given these gifts. And so part of the mission of your marriage is to realize that you were created for this and that your marriage does even better 
when you are together using these gifts, putting these gifts on display, I am always like, some, every now and then, my wife and I have the opportunity, our, our schedules sometimes get so busy we don't get to do this, but every now and then my wife and I have the chance, the chance to counsel together or to, to share a meal with other people who are going through some issues. And I am just amazed at her wisdom at what comes out. And then I'll say something, and it's just like we're feeding off of each other, and all of a sudden, it, you know, we're, we found a place that, that works really well for this other couple or for this other um, relationship that we're dealing with. Because God has given her gifts that he hasn't given me, and he's given me gifts he hasn't given her, because we were created to use those gifts. And our marriage is made to put the gospel on display, and so we use those gifts in our marriage ends up being this great and beautiful thing that God is, is doing through us. And I don't want to give the impression that we're some, like, you know, amazing couple and we have it all together, because we don't. We don't have it all together. But one, we've placed Jesus at the center, and, and it helps us to get over other issues. Um, I had a pastor recently... Um, tell me that their church wasn't doing much because they didn't know what their vision was yet. And I said, and I'm actually uh, I'm helping to coach, and I said, one of the things I told him was, and I think this was a God moment because I don't know where this phrase came from. Um, I wrote it down afterwards. So I was like, oh, that was good. You know, <laughs> um, sometimes you say things and surprise yourself. And what I told him was, if you focus on the mission, on doing the mission, you'll get the vision. Some of you may not have a solid vision for your marriage or for your relationship. But if you focus on God's mission for you, then you'll always find the vision. And so I think that's really important in our marriage, that we focus on the mission that God has for us. Again, why am I going through all these New Testament verses? Because your marriage, your relationship, is a microcosm of the church. Your marriage was intended to put the gospel on display. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And what Paul was saying here is that your marriage, all the verses that talk about the church, all apply to your marriage. Number five, focusing on mission means provision. Now, I'm not telling you that, that you're going to be, you know, new Cadillac or something. That, that's not what that means. This isn't any prosperity, like, oh, wow, if we focus on God's mission, then all of a sudden I'm going to have a ton of money. That's not what this means at all. Let's look at, a, uh, at Matthew six thirty-one through 33. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these, all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, what are all these things that Jesus says will be given to us? Let's go back. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Food, shelter, clothing. I mean, Jesus is saying, hey, I'll provide for your needs when you're on mission, when you're seeking first the kingdom of God. Now, why is this important in marriage? First of all, many of you know that the first few years of marriage can be financially tough and even the last few years or the middle few years, if you go through a layoff time, if you go through a time where, um, where maybe your kids are just like eating everything that they see, you know, it, it gets financially tough. And I'm not saying 
go on mission with Jesus so that you could be provided for. I'm saying when you're on mission with Jesus, he provides for you. That's exactly what this verse is saying. What this verse is saying is seek first his kingdom and everything else will come back to you. And, and not come back to you, but everything else in, in, in life that you need will be provided because God will be providing it for you because you're on mission with him. So are you on mission with Jesus? Because God wants to provide for you in your marriage. Nothing that I, one, there's one of the things in, in premarital counseling that I see more fights over than anything, and that's money. And, and my thought always is if you focus on God's mission, then money won't be as big of an issue because you won't be focusing on your wants. You'll be focusing on your needs. And all of a sudden, life becomes a little bit more affordable when you just focus on your needs. And, and when you're on mission together, some things just become ridiculous to buy. And you're on mission together, and, and you go, great, I don't need that. So God's mission means provision. Number six, one more, and then we're done here. Focusing on mission brings unity to marriage. Focusing on mission brings unity to marriage. Philippians 1.27, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you um, or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together one, um, as one for the faith of the gospel. What Paul is telling his church in Philippi is, you are all united together in one spirit. That's what happens in a marriage ceremony, by the way, that you unite them in, in who God is. Not you. I mean, I guess that's me. That's my job. I unite them in who God's, God is and unite them in one spirit. So when you're focused on God's mission, when you're focused on Jesus being the center of your relationship, then all of a sudden you'll find unity that you didn't know you had before. You'll find agreement. You'll say, well, what do you think the best thing to do? Like, what would Jesus want us to do? What do you think we should do in this, in this area of our marriage? What do you think the Bible says about this? All of a sudden, you'll begin to have like-mindedness. I think a couple is the happiest when they're on mission with Jesus in their marriage. In fact, um, uh, there's this unbreakable unity when you are focused on Jesus. It's an unbreakable unity that you two serve together, you work together, um, it, it's really completely amazing. One family um, I know of had uh, two teenagers, and one of their teenage daughters began to rebel uh, in like age 16 or 17 or something like that. Started, uh, they found, parents found cigarettes in the room, and they're like, oh no, our daughter's smoking, and then had this older boyfriend, and they're like, oh no, they got an older boyfriend now, and stuff like that. And, and what they did was they fought about it, and it didn't get any better. And so they're like, okay, what do we do about this? And all of a sudden it got really bad because I noticed she was sneaking out and boyfriend was sneaking in. And it was like just getting to be this really ridiculous uh, time in, in this relationship with, with this couple and, or with this young family. And so they said, what do we do? And the father was at his wit's end. So one day he rented a big van and he said, everybody pack your bags and get in. And they didn't want to do this. He took all their phones drove down to Mexico, he had made arrangements to serve at an orphanage for a week. So instead of taking a family vacation, he took a weeks-long serving vacation to an orphanage and all of a sudden got his family all on mission together. 
And his family is, is, to this day is a thousand times better because of it. They came home, daughter dumped her boyfriend because she saw the, the, I'm sorry, she saw the, um, the meaning of, of their family was to be on mission with Jesus. They saw this, this sense of mission become central in who they were. And so they went on mission together as a family, and all of a sudden they bonded and had this great unity. It definitely helped that they spent the week together, but also it helped them all to reconnect with God and, 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 and each other. And so focusing on God's mission will always bring unity to your marriage when you focus on that mission together. And so I was thinking about this week, why Ardez and I are doing pretty good and part of it is we've always served together. We've always done that. We've always been on mission together. We've always been clear on that. And so what I'm saying here is I think that being on mission together is this great little, not even little, but the main thing of marriage. And all this other fun stuff, you know, vacations, families, all this, that all comes along. It all comes along. Number seven. The return of Jesus compels us to be on mission. Many times we don't talk about the return of Jesus that often. We should more. And like I said, I'm planning a Revelation series, so I'll talk about it a little bit more coming up. But Matthew 24, verse 44 says, Jesus is saying to his disciples, so you, must, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. We have to understand that Jesus is going to come back for his bride, us. And he's going to want to know if, our, if his bride has been on mission for him. And your family is a microcosm of that bride. Does the gospel show up? Is the gospel communicated in your marriage? Are you on mission in your marriage? Do people know Jesus because of it? So... Jesus is coming back in an hour in which we do not expect him. Are we ready? I mean, this is the, all the verses, all the parables, the, the, the ten virgins with the oil and their lamps and things like this, it all points back to marriage. These are all marriage metaphors. All of them. And so the point in all of this is that Jesus is coming back for his bride, and that's us. Are we ready? So today... Single people, are you on mission? You have just as much of a mission as any married person here. And in fact, it, it, when, when we're going to dive into 1 Corinthians 7 in a few weeks here, we, when you dive into the reality of singleness in, in the Bible, Paul is like, hey, if you could stay single, stay single. You are so much more flexible to be on mission for God. But single people, are you on mission? Are you seeking first the kingdom? Are you making disciples? Because you'll take all that with you into marriage. And when you do, your marriage will be on mission as well. Married people, so many times we focus on other things, peripheral things that, that don't do anything for us but cause stress and problems. The question I have for married people today is, whose mission are you on? Whose mission are you on? Are you on the mission of Jesus, are you on the mission of bigger or better than my neighbor? Are you on the mission of compassion? Are you on the mission of me? Are you on Jesus' mission? Whose mission are you on? 
Because I think the point is, is once you get on Jesus' mission in your marriage, then that's when you really begin, your marriage really begins to communicate the gospel. So whose mission are you on? Maybe the call here today is, whether you're single or married, is simply to lay down your own personal mission and pick up God's. To simply make disciples, invest in other people's lives, and help them to learn more about Jesus and begin to follow him. Let's pray. Father, I think it's so clear all through the gospel that you have called us to be on mission with you. Not just us individually in our singleness, but Lord, some of those whom you have brought together here today in in our marriages, that we're called to be on mission with you. God, we're called to serve you. God, we're called to live for you. Lord, there's some couples here today who might be on competing paths in their own missions. One has a mission for this, one has a mission for that. Lord, would you bring them and unite them together in your spirit? God, would we lay down all competing missions and simply pick up your cross? As married couples, as a family, and even as single people, Lord, would we pick up your cross and walk with you through it? God, lead us in your mission to make disciples. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.